I want to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll see a parallel of this in Mark, or rather Luke, chapter 11. So, oh thank heaven for 7 11. Okay? Or as they say in Shreveport, practice that. I want to talk about fathers below and our Father above. Because biologically, whether we know that one's identity, whether we're able to pick up the phone or the computer in contact or not, we've all had fathers. They were not above, they were below. They were those with feet of clay, just like their sons and daughters. And just as the scripture says, honor your mother, it also says to honor your father. So we have a day on the calendar. We ought to do what God says. But never forgetting that noble as they may have been, memorable as they may still be, we have a far greater father. And the Lord draws a contrast between the two. So let's think about the fathers below and our father above. Matthew 7, let's read verses 9 through 11. It might surprise people to hear that Jesus spoke of our fathers as being evil. Did you know your daddy was a sinner? You might not know that. You might not want to admit that. But whether he's alive or not, he is a sinner. Ultimately, we go back to Adam. A sinner. We have sinful stock from which we've come. Far from perfect. Far more far less uh, pleasing to God than we ought to hope to be. And those of us who are fathers, we, if we're honest, we have to we are not what we ought to be to our own sons and daughters. Oh, we might put on a good front to our neighbors. We might appear on the job site to have it all squared away. But the more we read this book, we're like Isaiah who, when he looked at folks around him, he said, hey, I'm not so bad. But in the sight of God, I'm a man of unclean lips, he said, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. You get full of yourself, God has a way of bringing you down. <clears throat> so let's read from the 7th of Matthew. Let's read verses 9 through 11. This is still in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. What man is there of you whom if his son asked bread, will he give him a stone? If your son comes to your dad and says, Dad, I'm hungry. Can you get me something? The bread usually back then was flat like a tortilla. It wasn't fluffy and stuffy like what we get sometimes at the grocery store. And he said, if they ask for bread, would you give them a flat rock? 
no nourishment, but might chip up their teeth, might mess them up, make a mockery of their need, the cry of their gut. You wouldn't do that. <clears throat> or if you ask a fish, will you give them a serpent? No, no, don't think so. <clears throat> Instead of something to feed him, something that might feed on him. <clears throat> If ye then, being evil, <clears throat> do you notice depravity is something we're reminded of all the time? Mm -hmm. Well, my saintly daddy, well, maybe the Lord saved him and maybe he was on the right path and all that, but he still had that sin nature. I still have that sin nature. You still have that sin nature. Don't put anything past anybody. It shouldn't surprise us when you're about somebody lapsing into some wickedness or failing to do the right thing. If ye then be evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more, think about the contrast here, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? And in the Gospel of Mark, again, we, or rather Luke, I'm not it right yet, Luke chapter 11, Jesus says in verses 11 through 13. Luke 11, starting at 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he, for a fish, give him a serpent? And then Luke adds this, if he shall ask an egg. And back then, a hard-boiled egg was a delicacy. It's all wrapped up. This protein pill, if you will. But I understand that at the power world, the scorpion would sometimes bind itself up in a ball. Dad, I, can I get an egg? Well, here, son, take this. And it's all wrapped up, and he gets it in his hand, and it unwrapped, and it's a scorpion. He's got those clippers in front, that stinger behind. Hey, that's not what I want. That's not what I need. This is this is not a good thing. If he shall ask an egg. <clears throat> Will he offer him a scorpion? Think about that. Well, no loving father would do anything like that. Of course not. How much more does your heavenly father love you? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more should your <coughs> heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, if you're going to sell somebody short, make sure you don't do that about the Lord. He has the wisdom. He has the power. He has the resources to come through. <laughs> Sometimes earthly dads have to say, sorry kids, uh, that's all we got. But our Heavenly Father has the riches of heaven. We read not too long ago that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. <clears throat> He's no walker. Now look with me please in Hebrews chapter 12 because when I sort of think of Paul I could be wrong if I am I apologize in advance for so thinking but the important thing is the Holy Spirit gave these words and we need to appreciate that Hebrews 12 <clears throat> verses 9 and 10 furthermore we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Oh, 
Okay, that's the natural relationship. Shall we not, my rather, be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? If you're a dad, there is a responsibility, a weight on your shoulders. You say, I know, I, I care about my kids. I care about doing the right thing. Yes, you should. But even more important, you answer to God. I answer to God as a father. And we should never take that lightly. For they, talking about the earthly fathers, for a few days chastise us after their own pleasure. <clears throat> Sometimes dad might be thinking, well, this is what's good for me. But our heavenly father, you see, God doesn't need money. God doesn't need stuff. We sometimes think in terms of the material. But God would have you. God would have me. He would have your mind. He would have your heart. <clears throat> but when the Lord chastens us, He for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. God is in the business of making us more like Him. If you're God, if your mind is somebody who says, I'm going to to schmooze with you. And we're all going to be cool together. And there's really no standard of holiness. There's no sense of propriety. We'll would, would just hang out together. That's why you hear about people, Jesus is cool. It was a song in my youth. Jesus, they didn't say he's fantastic. Jesus, he's just all right. What does that say? I don't think that gives the right message. Now, I speak especially to those of us, myself included, who are fathers. And we're not in heaven. We learn the model prayer, our Father which art in heaven. If you're a child of God, you have the same heavenly Father that I and any other child of God has. No grandchildren. He's not our uncle. He is our heavenly father. Yeah. And that reminds us that earthly fathers, they don't compare. Some may be more like Jesus. Some may be more like the model in the scripture. But, cut them some slack. I mean, I have a lot of criticism in my I remember thinking, I was in my teens, and I thought, well, if I'm ever a dad, I won't do that. I won't have that attitude. And I understood why dad got frustrated. He had three brave little boys to deal with. We didn't always think the right way. And we didn't always say and do the right thing. And uh, I regret. And by the way, if you were a stinker as a little fellow, they say what goes around comes around. Stunts I pulled, attitudes I had, seen it in our own children. They come by it honestly, if you want to say it that way. But <clears throat> that should check us. We might want to say, I, I don't want my children to have that misconception of God or misunderstanding of our role. 
There are some sta sad statistics that I find from time to time that underscore the general failure of American fathers to be there for their children, especially for their sons. I think I told you last month that when a certain greeting card company told the authorities in the prison system in one state, free phone calls to mama on Mother's Day. The line just didn't seem to end. Just about every inmate wanted to talk to mom, especially if somebody else going to pay for the call. And they made the same offer the next month, the month of June, to call dads. In some places, you can count on one hand the number of inmates that wanted to take the time, wanted to bother to call their papa. Sometimes the father might be unknown. Or it may be the long ago he deserted his family or he may be doing time himself. <coughs> I had one particular inmate at Pine Bluff and he was close to my age. And uh, one day he said, I got some good news. I'm going to be seeing my son. Now they had an arrangement for family members to visit inmates. And so I figured that's what he meant. Well, the next Sunday, he comes into the chapel, and here comes a clone of him, just about 20 years younger. He said, this is my son. You know, the Bible teaches the people who pray together, stay together. And so my son and I, we're going to sit together in chapel. And I was thinking, I couldn't help but think, maybe if you've done more of that before you were arrested before you committed grievous offenses against society. And many times, dads do this, so then the sons do it too. That's, that's scary. <clears throat> now, one scenario along these lines, like I told you, would remind us that Win, lose, or draw, if there is such, we make an impact. Your neighbors see you. The people you do business with, they see and hear you. Believe it or not, I didn't bring my little magnifying glass, but think of yourself, you're under the magnifying glass. You're being checked out. You might be a saver of life as a life. You might be part of the solution. You are a good example. That's a good thing. You might be not so good example. You might be a lousy example. People don't remember that. So it's not just for the little ones say, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little hands, what you touch. Be careful, little tongues, what you say. But we have a Father up above, and He watches us. I have found in so many decades of studying the scripture that the Bible is the most honest book you're going to come across. It's not a hatchet job to land back. You know, Jesus' harshest words were not for the pickpockets. We're not for the scoundrels of this world. 
It was for the people who put on their robes of righteousness and wanted people to call them rabbi, my teacher, my example, the one before whom I walk and stand. Folks, you don't owe this preacher anything as a human being, but you owe everything to the Lord. I hope we know. You won't answer to me in the judgment. And I won't answer to you in the judgment, but we'll all answer. We will all stand before God who knows every thought. Even when you daydream, He knows what races through your mind. He knows what thrills you. You might be saying, well, I really am going to endure this for now, but when I, when I can really do what I want to do, it's going to, it won't be anything like this. The Lord knows that. We should guard our hearts. We should have the sort of mind that is pleasing to Him. Again, Sunday school. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you think like Jesus? I don't always think like Jesus. I suspect I'm not the only one in this room. And we can say that about him. The Bible is not a hatchet job just slamming us constantly. There's enough in it to cause us to hang our head and say, woe is me, I am undone. There are passages of Scripture I could read today and say, that's me. I'm a stinker. But by the grace of God, God has shown me some things and God has taken me over some bumpy roads. And I know He's done the same with you. The point is, do we learn anything from it? Do we just keep making the same stupid mistakes over and over again? Hmm. But the Bible is neither a hatchet job nor is it a whitewash. Jesus didn't say, you know, you guys as fathers, you're okay, but God's even better. No, he said, now you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't do this. And you might think that's pretty good, but how much more? You are evil. But your heavenly Father is good. Scripture tells every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. With whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. When God gives you a thing, you better not say, like my brother used to say, that not mine. I don't want that. God gives us, maybe not what we want, but what we need. He brings us along. And we need to be reminded of that. Now, to those of us who are fathers below, myself included, the bad news is what we call depravity. We are sinners. Our capacity to think and to feel and to say and to do the wrong thing doesn't seem to know any limits. Somebody says, well, I don't do that. No, but you do this, 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 and this. I don't do one of those, but I do some of those over there. You know, if there's a hole in the bottom of the boat, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference if it's toward the front, toward the back, to the left, or to the right, or right in the middle. A leak in the boat will sink the boat. You say, well, we only have a leak in the front. But you still sunk. There are a lot of things that can sink us. And that's how we need to think about depravity. 
Jeremiah 13, 23, the prophet was moved with the Spirit to cite the Lord, saying, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard his spots? And neither can you who are accustomed to do evil. It's our custom. It's what we're used to doing. We need to understand that. Paul said in Romans 7, 18, when I assess myself from God's perspective, I've said, there dwelleth no good thing. By nature, I am a sinner. But you, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm thankful for grace, but I'm not proud of the fact I'm a sinner. I am not sinless, but I am charged to sin less. And with the grace of God, I'll do so. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. We even con ourselves. Well, I'm entitled to say this, do this, have this attitude, or whatever it might happen to be. Really? You really think that that's going to wash with God? It might fool you. It might fool your family, your friends, or other people. But we don't fool God for a moment. You know that? I hope you do. And when we talk about depravity, it includes all human fathers since Adam. That's why I wonder how many times, because Adam lived quite a while, 930 years. Do you suppose he saw any of his children die? Well, we know he knew something about Cain killing Abel. But in 930 years, and he was created a full-grown man. Theoretically, he could have conceived children from his earliest days. He'd have to wait till he's 20 or 30 or whatever. How many children did Adam have? Potentially hundreds. That would assume they're all single births. And I don't think they all were single births. There probably were some multiple births in there. How many funerals do you think Adam went to? How many do you suppose Adam thinking about that life that came and then was gone? How many times do you suppose Adam said, I, I wish I'd seen this coming. I wish I could have headed some of this off. I wish I'd taken the time to invest in this son and this daughter. Hindsight's 20-20, they say. Well, I'm not an expert on that sort of thing, but I do know I've looked back on my life and said, if I had it to do, but we don't have it to do over. All we have is today. The past is a canceled check. The future is a promissory note. All we have is today. Right here. Right now. Important for us to remember. The bad news is depravity. We got that dog in us 24-7. You might move your address. You know, I was a sinner born in California. And then for a while, I was in Louisiana. Then for a while, I was in Tennessee. And I've been in a few other states. And last several, we've been here in Arkansas. But I've always been a sinner. 
I haven't gotten away from that. Because I carry it with me. Sort of like that crab who says, well, I can't complain too much about my shell because I carry it on my back. But what is the good news? <clears throat> In James chapter 1, and verse 5, we get some insight into the Lord. Now, maybe you had a father who did this. When you asked for something, they wouldn't give it to you. I remember once, Dad got in a thing where if you asked for a thing, he would turn it back around on you. One time I said, Dad, could we get an encyclopedia? I'll encyclopedia you. What's that supposed to Dad, could I get a bicycle? I'll bicycle you. So we stopped asking. That's not God. When you ask something that is pleasing to God and something that would be beneficial to you, God's going to not smack you upside the head. Stop asking for stuff like that. No. You say, is there scripture for that? That's why I asked you to turn to James 1 5. If any of you lack wisdom, would you be wise? You see, if you have wisdom, you can know better how to spend your money, your time, your energies, where to go, where not to go, who to associate with and who not to. If you're not wise, you could have a gazillion dollars dumped in your lap, and it's gone almost as quickly as it comes. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, I know politically we probably consider ourselves as as uh, conservative. But when it comes to God and His giving, He's liberal. I don't mean He's like those fellas giving away the store. But He is kindly affection. He doesn't spare any price. After all, He sent His Son. The greatest that He had. He sent Heaven's best to become one of us and to do for us what we could not and would not for ourselves he says let him ask God to give it to all men liberally God ain't no cheapskate folks I think sometimes people think God's like Ebenezer Scrooge we sang that song here I raise my Ebenezer and I remember as a kid why are we singing about Scrooge no we're not talking about Scrooge Ebenezer means stone of help. He's the one we can depend upon. Amen. And it's recognized. That's what Samuel told the people. Stack up these stones. And when you're in a need, when you're in a tight, or when you're in time of rejoicing, no matter what, God is your strength. God is your source. And so I raise my Ebenezer, my stone of help. That's why I asked you if we could sing that song. Because... It's God who is the source of all our blessings. He is the God of all comfort. We need to know that that's so. And uh, sometimes people forget. He gives all men liberally and a brave not. God doesn't say, what do you want that for? If I get on my knees and say, Lord, give me more compassion. Lord, nah, I don't think so. Now, if I said, I need more money. No, you don't need more money. If you had more money, you'd be thinking about you. 
and stuff that would please you. I hope I haven't run into the ground, but I've told you a few times about a certain relative of ours. When they figured out I was a preacher, they said, preacher will get money. And my response, I'll pray the Lord's will. No, don't ask for the Lord's will. Preacher will get money. In a way, that pictures all of us. We think we know better than God. What we need, how much we need, and when we need it, and why we need it. If we think it's God's business at all. <clears throat> so, a lot of problems in our motivation for prayer. If we pray, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, if you want to send me halfway around the world, if you want to put me in such and such an experience, so be it. That's what amen means. That's what you want, and I'm on the same page with you. That's hard for some people. Because they've made up their mind already what they deserve, what they want, to what it is that they are entitled. <clears throat> now, uh, in Proverbs chapter 3, you can turn there for just a moment. And a lot of times people go to Proverbs 3 and they quote verses 5 and 6. And don't get me wrong, I love those verses myself. But there's more in chapter 3 than just verses 5 and 6. Read on a little bit past that. Chapter 3, verse 12. Maybe this isn't so popular, but it's just as true. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. I grew up in a neighborhood where we had to pray kids, just like me. But Dad never walked down the street, you know, three doors down and had so-and-so. Dad never went down there and he saw some kids saying or doing something. He did not come here, kids, or walloping it. No! My dad didn't do that. Maybe you know somebody who did. <clears throat> you could get in some trouble with that. But our God is the one who corrects his children. In fact, that's a pretty good sign you're a child of God. When you mess up, God won't leave you alone. He'll get to you. He'll Take you to the woodshed, so to speak. And you need it. And I need it. Don't assume you're being persecuted all the time. Maybe you're just getting what God would have you to get. And He can get it to you even from an animal or an inanimate object. God has a way of balancing the scales. We need to know that so. For whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighted. When my papa spanked me, uh, probably at least 90% of the time, I had it coming. Maybe more than 90. Maybe all 100% of the time. But he's human, like the rest of us. But our Heavenly Father is never arbitrary. I'm in a bad mood today. God doesn't get in a bad mood. When he corrects us, it's not for him, he's already God. He corrects us to cause us to conform more to his way of thinking, to the direction in which he would have us to go, to watch our tongue, watch our attitude, to learn as he would have us to be. And so he doesn't upbraid, he doesn't smack you up the side of the head, he upbraideth not. 
We often have opportunities to do good for our children, but as he said in the two texts we read, he knows how to give good gifts to them. We read about Jacob, who married a relative of his. They actually, he had two wives by Laban, his uncle. And God dealt with Laban, and God dealt with Jacob. And in the end of the 31st chapter of Genesis, it says, Jacob's paying attention. He says, you know, the countenance of Laban is not the way it used to be. I used to be a hero, and now I'm a zero. Maybe it's time I talk to the people at the post office and get a change in the dress form. Maybe it's time to make a break. Sooner or later, you've got to get away if you're going to stand on your own two feet. You might not have to move geographically. I mean, uh, my solution was to go in the Navy. That's one place I can't be bossed around, at least by one authority. And uh, guess what? You're always under some kind of authority. Look at Luke 15 for a moment, please. The prodigal son is what we call him. Sometimes we call this parable, we focus on the kid that messed up. We ought to call it the patient father. But what we have is what we have. In Luke 15, this kid messed up big time. He left with a big bag of money. He's out of here. And he went far, far away. And he was a hero till he ran out of money. And then he was a zero. And he got the filthiest job for a Jew feeding the pigs. And he was so desperate. He started looking at that hog challenge. And, you know, that stuff's starting to look pretty good. When we were in Bible school, we used to go down to the Open Door Mission in Oakland. And uh, they let these guys that lived on the street come in. And if they stayed for the service, they'd feed them. They fed them at the benches where they were sitting. So we're up here in this loft and we'd sing and the preacher would preach. And then before we leave, we'd stay up there and we saw the gruel that came out. I guess it looked like oatmeal or something. And uh, they were hungry enough. They ate the stuff. And uh, I remember after several weeks, I turned to my buddy TP and I said, you know, uh, that's starting to look pretty good. He says, we're going to stop at McDonald's on the way home. If that stuff isn't looking good. But here's the guy, he, he's eating hog slop. And he's saying, you know, even the servants of my father's house, they eat better than this. Maybe if I go back and beg my daddy, He'll let me at least be a servant. And so he's rehearsing in his mind. This is what I'll say. This is how I'll behave. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm blown and I don't have anything. I'm going to come back wearing rags. Didn't even have any shoes on his feet. Had nothing to commend himself. And he comes back to the father who was out there watching and waiting for him. See, the real hero in that story it's neither the sons, it's the daddy. Start at verse 20 of Luke 15. He arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, I don't know if he didn't see his papa, but his papa could see him. 
His father saw him and had compassion. He wasn't standing there with arms akimbo. It's about time you came back. You sorry excuse. No. The father saw me. And ran. Fell on his neck and kissed him. I don't think he smelled so good. The sweat and the hog slop and anything and everything else probably maintain an aura of humility, if I may put it that way. And the son, he had his, his speech rehearsed, and now it comes out of his mouth. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Papa said, well, it's about time you had something to say for yourself, you sorry excuse. No, that's not the Lord. But the father does cut him off. The father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. What a magnificent change. What a radical transformation has taken place. You know, folks, as long as there's life, there's hope. I can't pick up the phone and call my dad. He's been gone a while. Eleven years. And no matter what my intentions might be, he's gone. If you still have your papa. And you might say, well, he doesn't deserve it. And who are you to say that? We're sinners saved by grace. And so the dad says, my son was dead. Can't get more out of the picture than that, can And is alive again. He was lost and is found. What a testimony spoken by this father. And so rather than think about how worthy or unworthy he was, the father said that. Now real quickly, let's think about the point Jesus is making. We're not going to bog down and say, uh, we're dirty dog. We have messed up. We're certainly unworthy. That's true. That's reality. But where sin does abound, Paul told the Romans, but seven grace, grace doth much more abound. Our badness is covered by the goodness of Jesus Christ. And the Father doesn't see the badness. He sees the goodness. I believe it was Isaiah moved to say, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. It's important to realize that He has overcoming grace. And that's what I want you to go away with. Because he knows what's truly good for us. He acknowledges our circumstances. In Job 23.10, it says, He knoweth the way that I take. And when he has tried me, he's going to put me through his paces. In his time, in his way, according to his purpose, he is going to refine me. I need a lot of refining. And so do you. God knows exactly what we need and how to 
bring that force to bear. To pin our ears back if that's what we need. To humble us if that's what we need. And I suspect there are times that we do. He knows us personally. That's why the end of the 139th Psalm it says, Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, which there is, and lead me in the way everlasting. He knows our futures, as he reminded Jeremiah. Not only does he know what's truly good for us, he does what is truly good for us. He is the source of all blessings. He is the God of all comforts. That's why Samuel said, Folks, he used an interesting word. Hitherto, that means up till now. You know why Samuel said, stack up those rocks and call it Ebenezer, stone of help? For hitherto has he helped. God has never let you down. Man might stick you. Man might say, take care of it the best you know how. Men might say, talk to the hand. Men might say, you're barking up the wrong tree here. Uh, like, like one of our neighbors would say, I didn't take you to raise. But that's not your heavenly father. He did take you to rear. He did take you to his bosom. He did take you into his counsels. And he has spent the most precious thing the life of his son. Christ died that we might live. He became a pauper so that we, through his poverty, might become wealthy. Second Corinthians 1.10 says, He hath delivered us from so great a death, and he doth deliver, and we trust he shall yet deliver us. God is in control. Always has been, is right now, and he's going to be. Diseases, economic catastrophes, and other assorted challenges, shall we say, they might surprise us. God didn't say, oh no, angel, look at the calendar. We got this thing called COVID coming up. What are we going to do? That's not God. Diseases come along, other things come along, and we get our nest all shook up. We get to bothering about this and dithering about that. Have to know. The patient man, Job, he said, the Lord gives. Some people want to stop right there. Yeah, yeah, God gives. Or also takes away. Whether he's giving or taking, he's God. And his name is to be honored. So he said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Some people are happy with blessing the Lord when He gives us what we want, but when He gives us what we don't want, we say, God dumped on me. What poor, poor people be? Guess what? He's too wise to make a mistake. This is the same Job who in the 13th chapter said of God, Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. I can't help but think of Isaac, Genesis 22. Daddy took him up to the mountain. He said, you ain't putting that thing in me. You ain't killing me, Pop. I'm out of here. 
He was a willing one. Shows a lot of faith. Abraham had faith, but so did his son, Isaac. And when we know that what he does is truly good for us, Romans 8.28 becomes not just a mantra, it becomes a life verse. We know that all things work together for good. I go outside, I got a flat tire, I could flat tire, time and money and trouble and all. No, that's not the Christian God had a reason for this. A policeman pulled me over for speeding in Memphis. And I just got through talking about that. Well, we thank Fulton Ward for all things. And like the next day, I got pulled over and he hands me a ticket. And I said, Thank you, officer. Thank you. You were still a wise guy. The Bible says we should be thankful for all things. I just got through teaching on that yesterday. Well, you a preacher or something? Well, yes, I am, but I'm a Christian first. And I try to go by what the Lord said. He says, if I had known that, I wouldn't have written you the ticket. I'm a Christian too. No, you're doing your job. Just because I messed up doesn't mean you should look the other way. You're held to a high standard on your job. I'm held to a high standard because I serve the Lord Christ. And if you're a Christian, and he's why? Well, you're held to a high standard too. I don't, I'm not going to gripe at you because you wrote me the ticket. I wouldn't lie to you. Oh, I'm a little bit looking forward to this. But God gives us what we ought to have. Anytime, any day of the week. If it ends in a Y, God gives you what you got coming to you. In Genesis 42, it tells how that Jacob, when he sends ten sons down to get goodies and nine come back. Where is Simeon? Well, we need to tell you, Pop, what's going on. And they rehearsed what had happened. And you know, in his mind, he's thinking, poor, poor, pitiable me. He says, Joseph is not. Joseph was fine. He just didn't know. Simeon is not. Simeon was fine. He just didn't. And he would take Benjamin away. He thought, I'll let these nine doofuses take Benjamin and I say goodbye to him too. And then he wraps it all up by saying, all these things are against me. Jacob said that. I've caught myself feeling sorry for myself from time to time. Said, it couldn't get any worse. It can. <laughs> by the grace of God, it doesn't always. But God uses these things. And God used Joseph to tell them in the last chapter of Genesis, as for you, you thought evil against me. If somebody's plotting and scheming against you, they're going to they're gonna cut your water off. They're going to do this. and they're, the, the Lord says, pray for those who persecute you. That's not an easy thing to do. But it's what the Lord tells us to do. And uh, you thought evil against me, but God meant it. For good. That should get our attention because it's so easy to see only the here and now in light of what we think. In James 4, I want to close with this. The last verse of chapter 4, it reminds us 
God has revealed His will in His Word. In Sunday school, Miss Julie read the passage. It says, search the Scriptures. Do you want the answer? I might not have the answer. Your Sunday school teacher might not have the answer. Your papa, your mama, somebody else that you admire, they might not have the answer, but the Scriptures have the answer. Search the Scriptures. That's critical. And if you search the scripture, we're told what is good. 4.17 of James. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not, him is, is it is sin. I deliver the word. I'm responsible. That's, quote, part of my job. But I'm supposed to know what it says in this book. And I got news for you maybe. You're responsible to know what's in this book. Not just know it, but to show it, to do it. And if you know what you ought to do, say, well, yeah, I heard a sermon on that once. Maybe I preached a sermon on that once, but I don't do it. God calls that a sin. If somebody says, I have sinned, oh, they, they must have murdered somebody. They must have robbed a bank. They must have done some dirty, nasty thing failing to do what we know we ought to do. God calls that sin. So when you ought to hold your tongue, when you ought to be generous, when you ought to be kind and compassionate, you ought to be more like Jesus, but instead you're more like the devil. That's a problem. It's more than just a problem. It's a sin. Please accept this encouragement I give to everyone in this room, myself included. We don't want to sin that way. We need to know what the right thing is to do and then follow through. 